boy, I messed up already. Okay. Hi, here we go. Hello, we'd like to welcome you today to joining this podcast. We're really excited to launch this and we think that you will really benefit from it. We're excited to have you today. This is Dr. Rook's Plant-Based Lifestyle Podcast. And boy, are you in for a tremendous amount of exciting information as we cover the advantages of a plant-based lifestyle uh, and the optimal health that you will receive from it as well. So we invite you to listen in weekly as we cover a lot of different topics that you'll find to be of interest and of value to you in your day-to-day life. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Dr. Rook. Dr. Rook is a tremendous doctor at the uh, Morehouse School of Medicine here in Atlanta. Uh, She has done a tremendous job in educating individuals on the benefits of a healthy lifestyle that's plant-based and the benefits of it. And I wanted to just introduce you, Dr. Rook, who actually works under the Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Rook, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Joel. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you for helping to support this effort. So I'm, I'm great, and I'm, I'm excited to get started because you know, I think this, this, uh, you know, this information is really important for our community. So I am happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. And one uh, disclaimer, everybody, just to let you know that these are not the views of Morehouse. These are the views of Dr. Rook. But um, we wanted to make you aware that she is one of the medical doctors there. She actually runs the Optimal Health and Wellness Clinic at the Morehouse Healthcare Center here in Atlanta. So if you want more information on that or would like to visit and see Dr. Rook in person, feel free to make an appointment to do so. Again, that's the Optimal Health and Wellness Clinic at the Morehouse Healthcare office here in Atlanta. So we're really excited about our, our office is actually 1800 Howell Mill Road. Okay. But now, because of the coronavirus outbreak, we're seeing um, mostly telehealth patients. Okay. So we have, if you call, we can make a telehealth visit, a telehealth appointment. Fantastic. Actually, that's real good news. So all you individuals around the country, we know that uh, you can't really jump on a plane right now and fly to Atlanta. So why not give Dr. Rook a call and see what value she can bring Uh, to your lifestyle and your optimal health as well as it relates to this way of eating. But Dr. Brook, I've got to ask you a a question. There has just been so much topic about the coronavirus. As you know, every single day is coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. It just has completely consumed the news media uh, as of today. And so I wanted to kind of talk to you about that and, and kind of get an idea as to your thoughts on that. Uh, First of all, what exactly is a virus? What what is a virus and why should we be concerned about it? So a virus is probably, viruses are probably the most uh, sort of the most numerous life forms on earth. Viruses are very, very simple entities that consist of the DNA, which is genetic material, a genome, surrounded Mm -hmm. by a protein coat. I mean, that's, that's the basic form of it. And, uh, and sometimes it's surrounded by uh, an envelope, sometimes they're larger, but it's, it's a very, very basic, very basic structure. It's actually a particle because until it gets into a cell, it's not really, a, well, it's not really alive until it gets into a cell and it starts to replicate. So viruses, um, viruses get into your cell and they, so the, the mechanism by which they get into the cell varies with the different kinds of viruses, but they are, 
um, they're actually an, the ultimate parasite because they will they, they cannot replicate on their own. They're just particles hanging around. Once they get in, they take over the, the mechanism of the cell. They take over the, uh, the DNA of your cell. And, and then it, it, um, it, it, it's the, so the DNA in the virus is an instruction kit pretty much to re replicate itself. And so it starts to replicate itself in the cell and then it finally breaks the cell, kills the cell. And then there are hundreds of viruses just multiplying themselves. So that's pretty much what a virus is. Gotcha. So where exactly do they come from? Because you, you make it sound like they're, they're out here and they're floating around, but they have to get into the cell. So where, where would they come from? And why is this outbreak so bad? So this is a subject that consumes virologists, people who study virology. They uh -huh. actually don't know, but there are several, there are several um, theories as to where viruses come from. Because so the, the basic three theories are one, that viruses are, are, the, are, are, are a cell that's actually broken down and is simply part of a cell. Okay. Like with just the DNA and the protein code. The okay. other theory is that um, viruses are are they, they are the original structure that then that cells became that came, you know came from. And mm -hmm. then the others is that they were they've just been here forever ever ever since life, all life forms began. So did viruses, but they really don't know. There is no um there is no for there is no definitive um uh statement for that any virologist can make virologists argue about this all the time if you go online and you google where do white viruses come from you will get lots of lots of sources and, and theories but again they're this so so because there are different types of viruses too they they, they feel that some of them may have been formed by um cells cells breaking down and this the particle hung around some of them may be formed, maybe the precursors of cells, and you know, some of them may have been around forever. They just don't know. But there's lots of theories as to where it comes from. But we do know that there's there are lots of them. You know, they're they're you know they're 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 in our environment, and they live in they live in animals, and they, you know, in some in some animals they cause a a a, a, a health problem, and in others they don't. Yeah. So that, that's interesting because it seems like this particular outbreak and a lot of other outbreaks that are newsworthy are actually coming out of Asia and China. Why are we seeing so many of these deadly viruses coming from that part of the world? So um, many of the viruses are called zoonoses. They call the, the because they're, they live, meaning that they live in animals. Okay. So for instance, the swine flu, they think that, um, this uh, the coronavirus may have come from pangolins. They these these viruses they live in these animals and they don't cause the animal very much problems because the goal of the virus, remember, is to replicate itself. It just wants to put you know to replicate its genetic material. So it's not in their best interest to kill the animal, right? Because then they won't replicate. They lose the host. Yeah. So yeah. So it's just a host. And so in many cases. These are uh, these the, what we call exotic animals are are just are, are hosts and the animal the the, the 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 virus lives in them and now um, in China and this goes back to um, his, you know, historically in China 
there was there are a lot of people in China who um, they were starving in many cases. Mm -hmm. And during the um, the Cultural Revolution, during when Mao, I think Mao Zedong, and during that Cultural Revolution, during the, um, the communist era, they they wanted they needed to feed people. So uh -huh. they introduced so they introduced um, the, the the basically eating these exotic animals because uh -huh. people I mean like everywhere else in the world. They were just eating fish and chicken and whatever we're eating. They're eating the same things because, you know. But um, the 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 cultivation and the capture and eating of and use of more exotic animals for food helped in many ways to to prevent starvation in China. And so, um, so so you have these markets that develop to sell these animals. Now, okay. apparently, even now in China, it's not everyone who eats dogs and cats and these things. Right. It's actually a very small group, more more um, wealthy people who right. are eating these exotic animals. But um, so so the so the virus lives in these animals, and that when you start uh, producing them and cultivating them and storing them for um, for food, then you you get. Um, you have the possibility of transmission to humans should the, oh, should the virus mutate, right? And so, um, in uh, is in, that tied into what was talked about with these wet markets that they have over oh, in China? So the wet markets are called wet because they have live animals there, and they 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 have to wash them down all the time. And so there's water everywhere because because it's filthy when the animals uh, excrement. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the reason why it's called wet markets because you have live animals that have to be cleaned and 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 the, the markets have to be um, not always sanitized as they should be, but basically cleaned and washed away. So and have feces and you know washed away. So these are the wet markets, and so you have um, exotic animals. Uh, for sale in these markets mm -hmm. and from these exotic animals you have you you have there's a where the virus lives naturally and it doesn't kill the animals it may make them a little sick but it's but once you start um, you start basically it becomes a breeding ground for a virus and I then know. you start then it, it can be when um when humans begin to eat these animals then the virus mutates and then it becomes so it becomes able to be transmitted from human to human, whereas you would get it from eating it, but then cooking would kill it. But once once you're handling these animals and you're coming in contact with them, they get into our bodies. And if it's just like one animal or two, you know, it's not it's not that big a deal. But if it's if it's a lot of them, then you become then you then then you increase the risk of of infection for you know on humans and then the virus mutates to be able to be transmitted from human to human okay and that's that's what yeah. yeah so so what you're describing here is you have this this market if you will over in asia and i guess we're seeing these diseases come out of asia uh to a more uh, larger degree simply because there are more of these wet markets we really don't have any of those that i'm aware of here in the united states is that safe to say or is our Cleaning process different or or what? It sounds like it's the handling well, of animals. Well, we say that, but the, the, the poultry industry, the poultry industry, and the animal, um, the the way that animals are raised in this country also creates uh, a potential 
for the spread of viruses. For instance, they think that the swine flu, sorry, not the swine, not swine, yeah, well, swine flu is from, you know, from pigs, basically. And um, the, bird, the, 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 the flu that caused the 1918 pandemic mm-hmm. was, um, they think that that I think it's blame was blamed on Spain, right? So it's called the Spanish flu. Uh-huh. But in fact, they, they, they've been able to trace it back to Kansas in America. Really? And, they think, okay. yeah, and they think that it really was not Spain. It's just that that's where the outbreak started. But the source of that virus may have been Kansas. Wow. So, it's, so, so, we, so the wet markets in China are a source of, of, of contamination. They're a source of... Of, of of unusual viruses that can get into that can infect humans, but the way that we raise animals is uh, in in every country mm-hmm. is a breeding ground for viruses and breeding ground for zoonotic infections that can infect human beings. You know, and, and so viruses can mutate okay. and then cause cause pandemics in our in our society in, among humans. So it, it almost sounds like we're, because of the way we're harvesting animals and the way we store animals uh, in these uh, chicken farms and other things, that the handling of that can really cause an outbreak anywhere. It's almost like we're sitting and waiting for the next one to come. Exactly. Exactly. It just it is just coincidental that it's happening from China because they do have unusual animals that they're eating. But here, where, where the, the um, factory farms in this country are a breeding ground for all sorts of uh, potential infections. Wow, that's, that's really something. Now, I was thinking about that because if you have an infected animal, you would think that the, the cooking of it would actually kill the virus from that standpoint. But it seems like a lot of this is, is pre-cooking. It's the handling of it and then that passing on of that at that point before it's cooked. Exactly. No, exactly. Because cooking will kill the virus. So, but it's the handling and the fact that um, with, uh, I think, um, with, sw- with uh, bird flu, they, the birds, so, so flocks of birds will become infected and they will have to kill, you know, like hundreds and thousands of these birds because they're infected. It, 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 it goes through the, bir- the, the population of the, you know, of the birds quickly. So you have to kill because what the, the live birds, because they can then infect humans. Wow. And, you know, the, and it's the handlers. So yes, so, and then they then transmit it and one person transmits to another. And so it goes because the, 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 the mutation, so, so these, these viruses will live in, in the animals. And then they may jump to one human being, but the, that person, it's not a, you have to be, you have to be, um, handling the birds or, or being involved. So people, so people are in poultry farms, they're getting these, these viruses, but because the virus has not mutated to go from person to person, you're not getting an outbreak. But when that virus mutates, I, you know, that's when you can get a pandemic. Gotcha. So could I be affected if I go to the store and I buy a chicken and I bring that chicken home and I'm touching it and trying to get it prepared for for cooking or a piece of beef or anything like that, could I also get infected in a situation like that? Well, of course, of course. And um, yeah, so yes, the answer is yes. 
But um, it's, it's an interesting, so, so the Department of Agriculture, this brings up something we talk about in class. So the Department of Agriculture recommends that you do not actually wash meat in your house. Oh, okay. Because when you, because there's so much bacteria and viruses and just, you know, so the, 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 the average piece of chicken has more, has more bacteria, E. coli bacteria, because when you're, this is not, this is, this is going moving on from viruses, but <laughs> has, has more E. coli bacteria than a toilet seat, right? And so E. coli is fecal bacteria. So they recommend that you don't actually cook, um, you don't actually wash um, meat, because what happens is that there is so much splash water when you wash meat, and then the, the water splashes up onto onto the surfaces of your home, and then it becomes contaminated. So wow. whether it's viruses, whether it's bacteria, whether it's whatever, they recommend that you just cook it right away before you wash it. If you wash it, you're, you're contaminating your hands, you're contaminating, but you know how people really are. They, they, they touch the chicken, they're putting salt and pepper and lime juice and God knows whatever else they're doing. They're yeah, seasoning it up. Exactly, and they're touching it and then if they, if they forget to um, if they forget to wash their hands before they answer the door or something out the or the phone, they're contaminating surfaces in their homes, and so that is wow, an issue. So, so their own home, their own kitchen could basically be a petri dish. And that is why the the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the CDC recommends that we don't actually wash meat in our kitchens because the splash water can mm. contaminate our kitchens. And actually, I would go even farther to say, like, you shouldn't even bring it into your home. I mean, if you think about, if you think that yeah. uh, a piece of chicken has as much bacteria as a toilet seat, as a public toilet seat, would you really pick up a public toilet seat and bring it into your home? <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that, right? So, so that's what we're doing, though. When we when we when when we bring meat into our homes, because the 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 the, the yeah. slaughtering process, there's feces all over. I mean, there's feces in the slaughtering process, and that contaminates the carcass of the meat. And so, and then even if there's only one bacteria, let's just say they're really sanitary, you know, they're, they're, they have really sanitary, um, excellent sanitary measures, and there's only one bacteria, it only takes, you know, bacteria doubles, they, you know, it grows exponentially. And uh -huh. so one bacteria in, in, in the end of the day can be like a million because they, they grow, you know, one goes to two, two goes to four, four goes to, you know, six, and they, that's how it grows. And so, so you, um, the best way to avoid um, contamination from these foods is to not eat them. So basically, that, that, is my that is my recommendation. Yeah. Don't bring them into your house. Don't don't just stay away from them. That That's that is interesting. Yeah, because most people would think, well, I'll be okay if I cook the meat. But to your point, all the contamination is happening before you even cook the meat. Exactly. In your home, in your, your kids, everybody. And so, but another interesting thing too, and this is getting a little bit from away from viruses, but with bacteria, when you cook bacteria, you break it apart. And so on the, 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 um, on the cell surface of bacteria, you have um, endo, you know, endotoxins. Mm -hmm. that, that, and to breaking it apart. Now those endotoxins, so the bacteria is dead, but the toxins are still around. 
and the, you can boil them, you can cook. They are not destroyed by heat. They're not destroyed by acid. Oh, they're not destroyed wow. by anything. And so, <laughs> and so your immune your so when you when you eat these endotoxins, your immune system recognizes them as because that's what's on the surface of the bacteria, right? That's how you mm -hmm. they know it's a problem. But you you're not destroying them by cooking or strong acids or digestion. And so your immune system sees these particles. They're not seeing the whole bacteria, but they're just seeing the particle that was sitting on the surface of the bacteria. And your immune system, your, your um, I'm gonna cough. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No problem. <laughs> and maybe you can edit that out. <laughs> and so your immune system recognizes these uh these these particles of the parts of the bacteria mostly on the surface wall of the bacteria they recognize them as as a foreign as you know as as foreign they they attack it and that then starts chronic inflammation in your body so after oh, really? yeah so that sounds like it's probably for an upcoming <laughs> class hmm? oh yeah so after eating so there's a lot of research with that and so they used to think that this in this spike in, um, in, in, in inflammation after you eat a piece of meat was because, <coughs> sorry, because you had this leaky gut syndrome. And they thought that it was coming from your gut. But what they're finding now, it's actually being absorbed by, by your, your, your immune system attacking bacterial endotoxins from dead bacteria. So, I mean, we're off the topic of viruses, but um, dead bacteria also cause... Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Dead bacteria can also cause chronic mm -hmm. inflammation in your body. Wow, that's really interesting. So it, it, it so would sound like it would get be... out, they edit out the, um, that part. So dead bacteria can also cause um, chronic inflammation in your body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that's quite amazing when you really think about it. So it would sound like staying away from these meats as a whole that help me fight back a virus and also uh, keep my house from being contaminated by having this raw meat and trying to process it in the home. And what you're saying, it sounds like I need to keep it out of the house altogether. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And now, so when you're eating meat, there's um, there's a, uh, well, there's a lot of epidemiological meaning that in population studies, and there are a lot of lab lab um, evidence. Which, which are very, it's very clear that people who eat meat have higher risk of chronic diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, um, heart disease. They have they have higher rates of those conditions, chronic diseases. So if you're if when yeah. was so, right, so these conditions decrease your immune system. Now there's also um, something that is in the meat, for instance, when an animal is about to die, it secretes cortisol. Cortisol is, uh, is the stress hormone. So it knows it's gonna die, it can't run away, it can't do anything, so it secretes high amounts of cortisol. Cortisol stays in the, in the, in the flesh of the animal because the half-life of cortisol is about 90 minutes. The, um, the, cell, the cell dies, and so it can't be metabolized, so it just sits basically in the cell. Okay. In the flesh. Now, cortisol suppresses your immune system. That is its job. It suppresses inflammation. It suppresses your immune system, your immune cells. So cortisol 
cortisol prevents your body from fighting off an infection the way that it should. And if it prevents your body from fighting off cancers, it prevents you, it, it basically weakens your immune system. That is, that is, because there are Coronavirus, how would that relate to the coronavirus from the standpoint of, I would assume if your immunity is strong, you have a much greater uh, fight against that virus actually affecting you than someone who's weak because of their immune system. Is that pretty much safe to say? It's a hundred percent correct. So you see, people are so we so the so initially we said well oh well actually initially and that is the that is the experience with the flu. So with flu, although young people also die from the flu in general, the people who die from the flu are very young children who don't whose immune systems are not developed yet, okay. and and uh, and very old people whose immune systems are weakened. Now the immune, but we 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 say well their immune systems are weakened by age, but it's really not age because there are old people who have strong immune systems, mm -hmm. right? It is weakened yeah. by years of of chronically chronically suppressing your immune system, chronic diseases, chronic problems. That's because um, if you um, the some of the reports of people who are surviving, there's a man who's 101 who survived mm -hmm. coronavirus. There's oh, wow. a, um, there's a, there's a couple in China that are there. Um, that I think he, he is 99 and she is 98 or something, and they've survived. They've survived. Um, They've survived coronavirus. So, and then, and there are 44 and 34 year olds here who are dying, you know, within six days of, of their diagnosis of coronavirus. So right. it's not really age, it's really the, the strength of your immune system. Gotcha. Well, you know, that, that's a very, very powerful point because, you know, there was a, a misperception among a lot of people, especially young people that, hey, I could go down to my beach and party and do this and do that because I'm in great shape and I lift weights and I'm strong and all the rest of it. But it really has to do with, from what you're saying, your immune system and your immune system is affected by what you take into your body, whether it's strong or whether it's weak. Is that a safe statement to make? That's 100% straight. What you take into your body and also how you live. So get, that's why I'm interested in the, the whole, so the diet is extremely important. Diet is like the number one has the most impact, but also how getting enough sleep, we, uh, not getting enough sleep, getting enough sleep is important to strengthen your immune system. Not getting enough sleep will weaken your immune system. Okay. Activity and now intense physical activity will weaken your immune system, but moderate physical activity that's done in a social setting will strengthen your immune system. Social settings, actually good relationships strengthen your immune system. Really? So wow. emotional well-being, being happy. Just mm -hmm. so and so that's one of the that's one of the areas of uh, of lifestyle medicine that is particularly of interest because um, we, you know, we talk about stress management, which means that you just try to get, you just want to cope. You're just trying to cope with your stress, trying to get back to normal. But it's not just about coping. It's about actually taking it to the next level and being happy because right. happiness strengthens your immune system. That's very so, interesting. Hmm? No, I was just saying that's, that's very interesting that, that you have that correlation between the two and you can kind of bring it full circle. So if, if I was to look at that, uh, how would you, because let's say someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're saying, wow, that's great information. I certainly want my immune system strong. 
you've made some very good points about how meats can actually hurt my immune system and bring bacteria into my home. I, I'm a fearful of all those things. So how would you recommend that a person adjust to not eating meat? How, how would you, because it would seem like a very difficult thing. In our culture, a typical plate of food or a particular meal is a meat, a vegetable, and a sauce. That's the American diet. So how would you recommend a person adjust to not eating meat? Um, no, 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 that's, a, that's an excellent question because it has to do with the, it, it's, okay, so there's, so there's, because there are two approaches. One is sort of incremental that you can, you know, remove the eggs and remove the chicken, remove the, and there's the jumping in. So the research on how to make behavior changes with a diet actually supports jumping in, okay? okay? Deciding, it's like, it's like, how are you going to quit smoking, right? Mm -hmm. So you set a quit date and then you quit. Now we know that it takes about 20 times, you know, for you to quit before you actually get there. Right. And it's the same thing with, with, with changing your eating habits. But if you decide that you're going to quit eating all animal products, start off, start off with doing that. And then you will begin to see the benefits of that. So let's just say. How, how long do you think that might take for a person to start seeing the benefits? So it so it takes well, so it takes about three to six weeks to begin to see the benefits. But some people say they see it within a week because you fail to feel lighter. But think about it. The to the two options. Let's just say you decide you're just going to give up chicken, right? But you're still going to eat cheese and still going to eat those things. You're not really getting the full benefit. Yes, so you, so you'll, so you're, and then you'll be craving the chicken. And the minute you go having have the chicken again, you're going back to square one, right? So you're, it's so. But if you say I'm going to give up everything, I'm giving up the meat. That I'm, I mean, but it's better to have a plan. Okay, get a plan. So even if you say like one day a week, I'm going to give up everything, but you need to do it. So then you begin to see the benefit of it. So one day a week, okay. you're going to, you're going to be completely. Um, animal, so it's going to be a meat-free, but not just meat. It's chicken, cheese, fish, eggs. The 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 dairy is sometimes just as bad because it gives you chronic inflammation. So you one day a week you're going to go plant-based, right? Completely okay. with no no animal products, and then you can go um when you see how successful that is, and then you can go the next week or the next however long whenever you're ready to transition. You say I'm going to do two days a week, and then you get to that. But you have to you have to try to do it, you know, as as yeah, as comprehensively as possible, as completely as possible, because you're not going to see the benefit. And if you don't see the benefit of it, then you're not going to continue, right? So well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. So my recommendation is to if you find it very again, it depends on the individual, but but for the but the best way that I think is to get a, get a plan, get a, get a, so, so that's why in our book, we have like a day of eating, right? Uh -huh. so, so eat those things during the day, just choose, choose a, choose an eating plan. And during the day, you eat, so on the day, you're not going to eat any meat, follow a, 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 a prescribed diet. Don't just say, I'm not going to eat meat. And then you get hungry around three o'clock and you go, you reach for a cookie with eggs and you, you know, you reach, so plan, get, plan it. So plan a day when you're not going to eat any meats. And so that, but you're making sure 
that you're getting all of your nutrients. Because if you're not getting nutrients, you're going to start have cravings and you're going to be, you know, at, at 12 o'clock at night, well, you are really good. You need any meat, but you're craving, you're craving because you haven't gotten the nutrients your body needs. So, so you know, in our, in our, in our book, we have, we have, um, we have uh, an eating plan, but next to it, we have all of the nutrients. So you can make sure you're getting all of the nutrients that you, your, your body needs for that day. So you're not craving nutrients. You're not, you know, you have a sense that you're actually getting the nutrients your body needs, even though you're not eating meat, because this is the fear of most people is that, and I'm not getting, I'm not getting enough protein and I'm not getting enough whatever they think they're not getting right. enough. Let's take that for another day because that's a, that's a very big topic. Everybody talks about protein. I need protein. I need protein. And there's a lot you have to say about that. And I want to say, because that's a conversation in itself. So let's mm -hmm. make sure we do a podcast on that. And uh, for everyone listening to this, we are going to focus on that in an upcoming podcast about the issue of protein. Do you need meat in order to get protein? So we look forward to, to that discussion. You know, one thing, Dr. Rook, you, you mentioned um, is a lot of people, they complain that they don't feel full when they start doing a plant-based diet. Or, and, I, and I use that word diet specifically because that's what they say. They say, I'm trying this plant-based diet and I'm not full. And I think part of the misnomer is to view it as a diet as opposed to a lifestyle. So do you mind speaking to that a little bit? So on a plant-based diet, if you start to eliminate just the animal products, there's a lot of research which shows that obesity is associated with eating animal products. There's a, a, a large study that was done in Europe called the EPIC study, EPIC, EPIC Panacea. There are different for them. So it's, 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 it's the EPIC study. And out of that came other EPIC Panacea, EPIC interact where they actually looked at uh, diet and different diseases and different problems so the one the, the the studies that looked at diet and obesity and diet and weight they found that just by just eating meat people who ate the most meat had the highest had the highest uh, rates of chronic diseases and obesity so if if, if when you're trying to lose weight or you have a problem, if you can simply eliminate the meat, you can then substitute that with eating a lot more fruits, which are much, much more filling than meat. You can eat a lot more grains. You can eat a lot more of, of the foods that, are, that, that give you nutrients and antioxidants instead of the meat. So, if you, so the initially, you're going to be substituting. And then as you get used to eating a healthier diet, you won't miss the meat. But, in, but you have to eliminate the meat and you have to have, um, make sure you're getting plenty of, plenty of other foods that are giving you the, giving you the nutrients your body needs. So, you, instead of, so instead of having half a banana, you can have a banana. And of course, if you have diabetes, this notion that you can't eat fruit, and that's another, that's another topic. And this is one of my, this is, this is the biggest headache I have with people. I mean, they go, but I have diabetes, I can't eat fruit. So, <clears throat> I'd like to focus on talking about that one of these days because that is a huge, a huge myth and misconception. So when these people eliminate oh, the meat, the chicken, the cheese, all the way on this one. Yeah, when they eliminate the meat, the chicken, the cheese, and they start eating more fruits and vegetables and grains, and then they actually can see their diabetes disappear. So literally, they can go from having diabetes, their hemoglobin A1Cs go from seven or eight 
to down to 5.5, 5.6. So we actually see that in how they eat. And when I, you know, when we do the diabetes talk, we can talk about, um, you know, we can talk about why that is. But okay. getting back to coronavirus and immunity, eliminating the animal products in your diet decreases the chronic inflammation in your body. And that helps to boost your immune system. Mm -hmm. And that is probably, that's probably one of the best things that you can do if you want to, and, and it's, you don't have to get these herbs. And there's a man on, on Facebook who's boy, who's um, boiling oranges and steaming himself. I, I don't think it's going to hurt you if you do that. But really, if, you, if, you, if your body is healthy, uh -huh. that is really what boosts your immune system. Gotcha. No, that's a very good point. You know, you brought up so many points in today's podcast. Uh, I've been taking notes. We, we've covered the issues of older ones that have survived the coronavirus. We've touched on protein. We've touched on obesity. Uh, we've touched on diabetes. There's, there's so many things. And uh, from what I understand, your, your book covers a lot of these topics. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, we certainly want to make that book available, and we will have that website available for you to uh, be able to access that book and download it. I understand you finished it maybe a, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Is that correct? Yes. So the book is, re the book is really um, intended to be the handbook for our classes because we have, uh, we have um, lifestyle intervention workshops. And the book was intended to be actually seasonal because in, this, in the workshops we have, um, we, we actually show people how to cook healthy food. And so the first book was, a, was for mostly fall and winter foods. Mm -hmm. And the second book we're working on is, uh, but the first one took so much, <laughs> took a lot of time. But the, um, the second one is going to be more like spring and winter, sorry, spring and summer foods, mm -hmm. so that it'll have more of the berries. Because one of the things people complain about all the time is that, oh, it's so expensive to eat a healthy diet. So yeah, if if, if you're in if it's in if you're in the summertime, there's plenty of strawberries and summer fruits. But in the if you're trying to get those things in the winter, it's going to be expensive. Right. So that's why the book was geared towards eating seasonally to save money. Because again, it was you know our focus is on health disparities on our community. In our community, you know, money is a money is an issue. So mm -hmm. we're trying to get. So we're trying to show people that it is much less expensive to eat healthier, eat a healthier diet than to eat the, the, what we think uh, is health, is cheaper, which is fast food. And right. so an orange, and so in the winter time when oranges are in season and they're plentiful, bananas are plentiful all, all year round, you want to eat more of those foods because they're, they're, they're just as good as uh, any other fruit and they're less expensive and, and available. So, so it's just knowing how to eat seasonally so that your, your grocery bills are not exorbitant. I understand. And we also don't, don't recommend a lot of supplements, which take up a lot of money. And people have to decide between buying supplements and buying food, buy the food. Right. So if you eat the right food, you don't have to buy the supplements. Right, exactly. And where I was going with the with the meat and the it's just the thought came. So with the meat and the obesity, it seems to me that I mean, I, I would have to go and look. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really interested in getting some of that data. But so far, a lot of the, 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 the people who I have seen have had, you know, serious, like serious, um, you know, severe outcomes with, uh, you know, death from coronavirus. In the pictures, they all seem to be slightly obese or, or obese. 
and and if in truth it is affecting our population more because that's that's again we have to look at the data right. if that is true you know our our population is the the, the population with the most obesity right yeah. we're also the population that eats the most meat the most chicken the most fish and that's we think these things are healthy yeah. so yeah. this is something that i think we have to we have to address that you know this may be the this may be the 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 crisis that gets us to make the changes yeah it's kind of interesting you mentioned that um i was looking at the the curve the coronavirus curve and if you looked at it in japan and south korea it's much flatter than parts of europe and america and mm -hmm. you kind of wonder what's the disparity between those things and historically the historic asian diet is one that uh, doesn't consume a lot of meat and things of that sort. Oh, dairy. There's not right. much meat or dairy. Yes. Right. Exactly. And it seems like that may be a correlation. So I tell you what, as we kind of um, uh, wrap this podcast up for this week and we think about our upcoming week, there was something that you brought up that I thought was very, very interesting. And you had mentioned about older ones that have survived the coronavirus, but then there's younger ones that are not surviving it. And also, I understand that there's data coming out about the disparity between different races as it relates to suffering from the coronavirus. Now, that's quite interesting because you would think that this is a virus that is indiscriminately killing people, whether you're rich, poor, fat, skinny, young, old, it doesn't matter. But you're saying that the data, the data is actually telling us something a little bit different. Yeah, well, also they're looking at the maps of where people are dying. Okay. And in poorer neighborhoods, people are dying and people have more infection. Now, there are several reasons for that. And part okay. of it is the fact that- poor Well, let's talk about it later. Don't, don't give it all away. Okay, yet. all right, okay, yeah. good. No, I Folks, think- I know you're listening really, in, yeah, but so, I just well, the room go and go. This could be a five-hour podcast, so <laughs> we're going to pull back a little bit. But we want you to tune in for upcoming podcasts because this is such an exciting topic. And uh, Sister Rook, uh, <laughs> Dr. Rook, do you, do you promise to come back and discuss these uh, disparities in um, our society as it relates to the uh, coronavirus and, and other and just healthy eating altogether? Oh, I'm more than happy to do that. Yes. Yeah, well, fantastic. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you. Was there something else that you were about to jump in and say or? No, it's, it's along the same topic. I think that, that is the next, that's the next topic because you're right, we could talk forever because this is such a great topic, but um, uh, just, so, well, of course, you know, I have to sort of um, be clear that my, I am biased towards more of a plant-based plant -based lifestyle okay. and more of a lifestyle medicine. And because, as, but it's not just bias, it's actually what the data shows. There is plenty of evidence out there which shows that this is the healthiest way to, to live. Right. And, and what, as, as, a, as a physician and as somebody who speaks from science, mm -hmm. that's what the science shows. And what we're trying to do is to get the information out and to show you how to do it in an easier way. But this is all based on scientific evidence. Nothing that I'm telling you in this podcast is something that I'm just pulling out of the air. There is scientific evidence to show, to, to support it. Great. Well, no, I really appreciate it that because you know you mentioned that you have a bias which i'm okay with it if it's justified and that's exactly what you're saying i have a justified bias toward feeling this particular way and if, and if your bias is justified then help our listeners 
to appreciate why you have that bias. Why do you, as a medical doctor, dealing with people with diabetes and cancers and all these other things, are so passionate about staying away from these particular animal products? And I think that that's the beauty of, of your, your skill set. Yeah, and so I, I use the word bias because that is the, that is the criticism that some people will, will level is that it's biased. Uh -huh. But in fact, it is not, I, but because I use that because that's what people, how people say it, but it's really not, it's actually based on scientific evidence, right? So as you well pointed out, it's, this, is, this is what the evidence shows and the evidence appears to be biased and I'm not cherry picking, this is what the evidence shows. Okay, so, so I'm trying to explain that to people as clearly as I can, that there is no right. evidence that supports eating a ton of meat and thinking that you're going to be healthy, right? There isn't. And, and, and I, I'm really looking forward to, because this, this outbreak is so new, we don't really know very much about who is most susceptible, but to try and get some of that data to see just really... Um, you know, the, the, just, just the habits, the health habits of the people who have succumbed and, and just to get some more information about that because, um, I mean, we can save our own lives by just what we, what we get in the supermarket. So are you telling me that you are what you eat? Well, we definitely are what we eat. <laughs> you know, we absolutely 100% are what we eat. Yeah. And that's the point that I, I think we can take away from this. Well, you know, this has been outstanding, and we've given our, our listeners just kind of a tidbit of some of our upcoming shows. So next week, we will talk about uh, the coronavirus and the disparities between the two, because remember, if you can, the point that we were making is that there is a correlation between a weak immune system and the amount of deaths in this uh, as a result of the coronavirus. So the question is, how do we strengthen our immune system, and what are some segments of society doing that are making them more susceptible to viruses and what are some communities not doing. So that's a very interesting topic. We will tackle that next week. And we ask you to continue to log in to uh, the podcast so you can learn more about uh, protein and what's related to that. And can you actually eat a plant-based diet and receive all the protein that you need? Can it help with obesity? Can it help with inflammation? Can it help with diabetes? All of these topics we'll be covering on upcoming editions of the Dr. Brooke Plant-Based Lifestyle Podcast. So we're so excited to have you with us. We look forward to having you with us again in the future. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Okay, thank you very time. much, Joe. I appreciate you. Thank you.